when Glenn asked me to, to speak, he, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, well, you're just so old. He says, you could just, they could carry you in and you could do the Apostle John thing and just say, love one another. And that would, that would be enough. But I'm not as old as he always makes me out to be. And I think he's catching up to me, actually. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that you have all heard the stories about the chaos and the, and the, the violent repression in Nicaragua where we work. And, and uh, if you're like me, I, I mean, that evokes kind of these really strong emotions, uh, outrage at the, the injustice of, of all of that, and then really a sadness for the effect that that has on all the people. And so I'm sure that Many of you have prayed. I'm sure Cindy and her group have prayed. I'm sure you've probably prayed here as a, as a family as a, on Sunday. Pray for it. But the question that I, I kind of want to talk about this morning is, does that make any difference? Uh, does when we pray and when you have prayed, does anything of really real substance happen? Is there any real change? Or, or do we just do that because, I mean, that's what we've been taught to do. That's what Christians do. You know, is it, do we are just fulfilling a, a, a religious ritual that we do? Or, or do we do it, and, I, and I, I, I'm probably guilty of this at times, do we do it just to feel better about ourselves? I mean, because we feel so helpless sometimes in these things. Um, do we do it just, you know, where we say, well, at least we prayed. Well, I think all of those questions are really valid questions, and I, I kind of want to look at some of the things that Jesus said that, that addresses that. What, what, what can we expect, and how should we uh, approach God in, in prayer? And, and I'm going to be talking from Luke 11, uh, and we'll quickly jump in here. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So you're all good students of the Bible and you realize that that's very similar to the prayer that and the teaching that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount, although this is kind of truncated. It's a little shorter. And, but this actually took place later, and, and it was Jesus' response to a question. The question is, Lord, teach us to pray. So Jesus gives them this model. We're all familiar with the model that, that, uh, that he gave, and, and you've uh, probably you know, heard lots of teachings about that, so I'm just going to kind of blow through that and, and go on to what more he said. Now, first of all, when he gave him that model, he starts with Father, and I think that's the most important thing about the prayer. That's the most important uh, thing that we understand uh, when we are approaching God in prayer. Matter of fact, it's probably the most important thing uh, of all of our Christian experiences, who is God? I mean, who is this one that we're talking to? Who, what, what's his, what's his uh, view of us? And what, what's 
uh, what's his attitude towards us bringing our requests. Now, um, the fact is that, that the fact that, that our God is a loving Father makes all the difference in the world as far as how we approach Him in prayer. And it affects what kind of results we're going to get when we pray. Um, so let's, let's go on because um, in the ser- Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this thing, gave this prayer, but this time... In helping his disciples, he gives an illustration to kind of make it clear what he's talking about, okay? And so he, he tells this story in Luke, in Luke 11, 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up, and give you as much as you need it. So here's the story. You know the story. Unexpected guest comes at midnight, and the man has no food to offer to him. Now, the story can be easily misunderstood. I mean, it was the last thing that Jesus wanted to do, is suggest that his father is like this sleepy neighbor. I mean, that's, that's the opposite. That's the whole point of the story. He's, he's presenting a hypothetical as a contrast, okay? So to, to understand it, you have to understand the Middle Eastern culture. In the Middle Eastern culture, it would have been a great honor uh, for someone, to, a guest, to come to your home. And it would have been culturally uh, expected that if someone came to your house at any hour that you would offer them food, and bread being the kind of the staple of the time. And so, uh, you know, there's no, there's no hotels or anything along the highway like we have today. And, so there, and there'd be no way to contact this friend. And so um, it, it, he was in a dilemma, okay? S- simple dilemma. And so he goes to a neighbor. And that, the um, Middle Eastern culture then and today is a shame-based culture. Okay, it's, it, people are motivated by shame. If you want to get somebody to do something there, you would, uh, you would appeal to shame, okay? And so a parent would, would, not, would say to, to his child, he'd say, Johnny, that's wrong. He would say, Johnny, that's shameful. That'll bring shame on yourself and on your family. And so... So in the story, the, the, the sleepy man is not very obliging. He, he doesn't, he has to be prodded. Now some, there's a couple different ways of looking at it. Some have said, well, he's, he, would be, uh, he, he would be prodded into action through shame, okay? But what, what Jesus is doing here is offering, a, again, a contrast. That the sleepy man, this, this reluctant hesitant, uh, inconvenienced man is not like his fa- your father in heaven. Uh, and, and so how much more 
is what he says, how much more would your Father in heaven, who's more than willing to answer your prayers, how much more would he, would he respond and act? How much more confidence should you have than this? Uh, because even this guy was w- responded. Okay, the other way that, to look at that is this man was simply uh, prodded to action because of the, I love that translation, the shameless audacity of the, of the neighbor to keep asking and to not give up until he got an answer, okay? So, uh, the man requesting, he, he wasn't put off by the guy's hesitance. He wasn't put off by the fact that it was so late at night. He wasn't put off by the fact that this guy's family was all in bed. He didn't give up. He continued to ask, until he got the answer. And that is Jesus' point in giving the story. Now, again, the story. What's, why did he tell the story? He told the story to teach his disciples how to pray. Okay? Um, so, am I, was Jesus saying, well, that's how you, you need to pray. You need to approach God with shameless audacity and keep asking over and over again for the same thing. Well, let's, let's look. Okay, what, el- what else did Jesus say? Well, Jesus, later on in Luke's gospel, you, Jesus tells another story. And again, it's the same kind of a thing. One day, ver- Luke 18, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Okay, so that's, that's pretty clear. That's what he was telling them. Don't, you should always pray and never give up. But is it never give up praying like in the big sort of big picture, like you should always be praying? Or was he speaking specifically never give up praying for the same thing? Well, let's look at the story. I think that the answer is in the story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who, who neither feared God nor cared about people. That's a great judge, huh? Okay, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, okay, here's Jesus teaching his disciples, teaching us. Learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? So again, here's the big contrast. God isn't like an unjust judge. Uh, This guy, he he couldn't be persuaded uh, by the fear of God, which is to say he didn't care about right or wrong. He, he wouldn't be persuaded by, by shame. He didn't care what, about people. He didn't care what people thought of him. And yet, he gave in he, because of her persistence 
in asking. So if this unjust, corrupt judge could be persuaded, how much more? See, again, Jesus keeps going back to how much more your father who's willing, more than willing, to answer your prayers. For those whom he has chosen, here is talking about that, who he's chosen to represent him on the earth. So, uh, this kind who, who cry out to him night and day. Okay? As Cindy spoke about the, the group that gathers in the morning and cries out for God's purposes. Will he answer? Will something happen? Is something of substance? Or are things just fixed and unmovable? See, that, that kind of persistent prayer, that kind of night and day prayer, has over the centuries has been called prevailing prayer. See, it's the idea that we don't just throw up requests a couple of times, a few times, maybe many times, but then give up when we don't see the answer. Give up when, when it doesn't come through and just sort of say, well, oh well, it's not going to happen. God isn't, it's not God's will, it's, it's too big, it's too big for God or you know, whatever, whatever reason. And we stop, we give up. John Calvin, the great reformer, wrote this. He says, we must repeat, now catch this, the same supplication, not twice or three times, but as often as we have need, a hundred and a thousand times. But you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus teach us? I think I remember Jesus teaching us that we shouldn't pray like the, prayer, the, the pagans who through their many words uh, um, try to, to get the answer. He says, because your father already knows what you have need of. Okay, didn't he say that? Well, how does that jive? Well, see, see, some have said, well, see, that's, that's what he means by that is all you have to do is just pray. He knows what you need. Just put that out to him and then just give thanks. You know, just believe that you have it and give thanks. But that wasn't Jesus' point at all. What he was saying is the pagans, they're praying to these capricious gods that, that have to be cajoled, have to be flattered, have to be... Uh, worn down or even tricked into giving you the answer. No, he's going, no, your heavenly father, he's, he's just waiting. He's willing to answer, to, to partner with you to see his purposes fulfilled in the earth. So, so Jesus wanted it to make it even clearer. He even brings it, he gives these two stories, and both of them, they're very similar. Story of a persistent person who comes to someone who's hesitant, and by their persistence, they get the answer. And he's going, but your father is not like that. Your father is willing. So then he, then he takes it even, makes it more personal, okay? And it down to, we'll skip down to verse 11. Jesus said, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? Or in, 
in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, good gifts to those who ask him. See, every parent, every parent here in the room can identify that. Every good parent wants to do right by their kids. They want, they want the best for, for their kids. They'll, they'll sacrifice for their kids. They'll, they'll, um, they'll give them good gifts to the limits of their, their ability to do so. Okay? And, but then he says, but you, you, you get that. You understand how that works. And he says, but you being evil, meaning sinful, selfish, uh, broken, he says, if you get that and understand that, he says, how much more your heavenly Father, uh, who's, who's always good, like we prayed this morning and said this morning, who's always good, who's never selfish, who's never reluctant, how much more? You know, so, so again, here we go back to how do you see God when you approach God? Do you see him as hesitant, reluctant? Do you see that the, the things that you face in life or even these big things like we're praying for uh, Nicaragua? Is this too big? Is it immovable? Or, uh, you know, is, does God unconcerned? Is he concerned with other big things elsewhere? How do you see God? Or do you see God as a friend who delights to partner with you? Do you see him as the is the judge and the, and the, the, the warrior king who, who, who wants to deliver you from your, uh, from your enemies and bring justice? Do you see him as the loving father who wants to answer prayer? Now, so that becomes the primary issue in prayer, is how do you see God? But the, but the other important thing, and, and a critical thing, is how do you see the world around you and your place in it? Jesus, let's jump back to 9. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. See, all three of those words, and you've probably been taught this before, they're all in the present tense, which is to say to you, understand it. Though He said, ask and keep on asking. You know, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And Jesus says, if you do that, you'll receive the answer. Okay? But that's kind of simple, all right? Except prevailing prayer is not, not all that simple, and it's not all that easy. And one reason is really simple. Oftentimes we don't see the answers to our prayers right away. You know, sometimes these things take time. Sometimes they take days, sometimes weeks, months, years, decades before before we see the answer. But what Jesus is telling his disciples and through by extension us, well don't stop you're crying out for these things because you don't see the answer. Continue to pray. See, it's easy to lose heart. I, I think it's really easy to lose heart and just go, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe God doesn't even care. Maybe, maybe it's just his will that all this bad stuff has happened or maybe, maybe he's busy in Syria or something, you know, and... and um, and to just give up. 
But again, what, what is Jesus teaching? I, I think it is so clear what Jesus is teaching. He says, don't give up. Keep asking until. Until what? Until you get the answer. Now, sometimes the answer is no. Okay? Sometimes the answer is no. Uh, at least no in the way that we think it ought to be answered. Okay? But see, even then, if we keep a humble heart and an open heart, I think God reveals that even to us. But many times the answer is wait, or what's the most frustrating is just crickets, like silence. And, and, and I don't know why that is. I, I really don't. I, I mean, there's a simple answer, and you say, well, it's the already but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. Yeah, but that's not a very satisfying answer, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes when we're waiting for something out there to happen, God is making changes in here. You know, we're praying for a wayward child or something, and as we're waiting, God is making these changes in us uh, through the circumstances. You know, sometimes the delays... And I, and I have seen this oftentimes. Sometimes the delays is a way that God increases the intensity of desire within us. Okay? It, it, that, that intensity where we get more in touch with, with the heart of God, the passion of God to see these things happen. Okay? And that builds in us. And desire fuels effective prayer. You know, the first... Uh, Christian biography that I ever read many, many years ago, decades ago, was the story of George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s in England, and he cared for thousands of orphans, okay, in this sort of Oliver Twist kind of era. And he was a man of prayer, and he kept a journal of all of his prayers. And he recorded 10,000 answers to prayer. Well, he said about, at one point, he said about to pray for five individuals for their conversion. People didn't know Christ. So he started praying for them. And he prayed every day, and he prayed fervently for them, every day. And 18 months later, the first guy came to Christ, was converted. And he kept praying. He kept praying every day. And five years later, the second guy came to Christ. Well, he kept praying. He kept praying for the other three. He prayed every day. And six years after that, the third guy came to Christ. But he didn't stop. He kept praying. And he prayed every single day. He prayed 52 years for the other two. And then George Mueller died. And they were not converted. At George Mueller's funeral the fourth guy gave his heart to Christ. And shortly after that, the fifth guy was converted. So George Mueller prevailed and continued to pray even when he didn't see the answer until God faithfully came through. It's, it, it's best to understand it as, as the family business. 
We've been called into the family business. God set up this whole world in such a, his creation in such a way that he set man in it to represent him and to bring his rule. But you know the story. Man rejected God's rule and so perverted their rule. But the, all that changes in Christ. Okay? And now we have been given the task to represent God in the world and to bring about his rule uh, the rule of heaven on earth, okay? And, and though it's not the only way, a foundational way, tool in which we do that is persistent, confident, prevailing prayer and intercession for the purposes of God in the world. We have been called to be into the Father's business, to be co-laborers, with him. John Wesley uh, wrote, he said, God will do nothing but in response to prayer. Now, I, I mostly believe that. I mean, God can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do. But I think God, in the economy of the kingdom, has set about to, do, to bring about his rule mostly in response to prayer and the faith of his people. If God just responded to need... The world would be a whole different place, right? But God responds to the faith of his people in their asking. See, your worldview greatly affects your, uh, uh, influences your effectiveness in prayer. See, do you see the world as fixed, bounded? You know, sort of this natural determinism, cause and effect, how everything works? Or do you see that the world is subject to the rule of God, the, the kingdom of God, which is heavenly, the kingdom of heaven, which is boundless, it's limitless, which is to say anything can happen. I mean, that's how Jesus could to speak to the wind and it would calm or speak to a fig tree and it would shrivel. That's the world in which we live and the, and the, the power of the kingdom of God. So, the answer to my original question, does, does it matter? D is, does something really happen when we cry out to God night and day and we ask him for these, these things? Does something of substance change? The answer is yes. Yes, it does. I mean, that is so clear in the teachings of Jesus. Over and over again, he affirmed that, not only in these, but in so many different ways. He says, if you ask anything in my name, my Father will do it. I mean, he intends for us to contend with him for his purposes in the earth. And how? By continually, continually, persistently, bringing things, the same things, to him until we see the answer and not give up. I also believe that that's really intensified when we do it together, like Cindy was inviting you to do. See, I, I think there's a, there's, there's a power of agreement. We see that throughout the scripture, a power of agreement. When we come together and we cry out together for certain things, that power is intensified. And uh, just as an aside, I don't think that there's any other way, better way 
to really bond together with other people. People that I have prayed with over the years, I know them better than anybody else on the planet because I hear the cry of their heart, the deep cries of their heart, their desires, which binds us together as we together uh, experience the heart of God, the passions of God. Let me, let me quickly, I know we're running out of time, but let me, let me tell you a couple stories. I got to tell you stories. Um, you know, one of the main focuses of our church in, in Vancouver is uh, where we are, there's a high school directly across the street, right there. And so for 18 years, we have been praying that God would open up doors of ministry into that church. And we have been faithful to pray. We have prayed and we have prayed and we've prayed the same kinds of prayers over and over and over again. And we have seen little things happen. You know, we got to mentor some over there. Little things happen, but nothing like what we were praying. Okay? 18 years. Okay? Well, about two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, I was in a prayer meeting in the morning with a bunch of others, and, and I had a vision. And I, I call it a vision. I had this strong impression. I had a, had a picture. And in that picture, it was very clear to me, I saw a pedestrian bridge that was going from the high school across the street to the church. And I saw peop, students coming over and church members going that way. Okay? And I saw this picture, and I really knew that it was God. I hadn't made it up. This was just God. And so, we, so I shared it with a group, and we started praying into that. We started believing that that was what God wanted to do. Those were the purposes of God. So we prayed that and prayed that. And we prayed that and prayed that. And months went by, and we were still praying. I could, every time I'd pray, I'd see that picture. I'd pray into that and saying, yes, Lord, I, you know, I, this is what you want to do. Would you do that? Build that pedestrian bridge. Well, a year went by, nothing happened. Crickets, okay, nothing. And then, one day, the school calls Marshall, our pastor, and calls him and says, hey, we want to talk. And we, we went over there and he says, we have a need. Our kids, they stay after school for these activities and they, they, they're, they're hungry. And they, they've left home at 7 in the morning and they won't get home till 8 at night. And could you guys help us by, you know, providing some food for them? And Marshall says, Sure. Okay, And then in their talks, they said, you know what? We really think it would be best if you would do it at your place. And we would come across the street to your place, uh, and you'd feed them over there. And that way, you guys can say whatever you want to say to them. Okay, <laughs> And Marshall says, well, I think that's a great idea. You bring them over. And so now, years, you know, this is our second year of this, or so, I think. And, and so every week... We go over and every week we bring them snacks into, you know, one of the classrooms and kids get these, come and get these snacks and meet our people in our church. And then once a month, they come across this bridge, they cut, walk across the street and they eat at our place, at the portal, our cafe. Okay, and we get to interact with them. Okay, well, is that just coincidence? Is that just simply, you know, it just sort of fell in line, you know, that these things, is, is that the timing? Or is that God answering our prayers? 
And that we would not stop until God, we saw an answer. Well, if that's a coincidence, I say, I'll take every coincidence I can get, you know, in answer to prayer. Second story, real quick. I know, you got to get out of here. Um, Years ago, Lane's mother died, and Lane was made an executor to her trust, to her will. And uh, the, the difficult part of that is Lane's mother was married three times, and uh, her last husband, uh, who was also deceased, he had uh, six children, and her mother had three. And so trying to sort all of this out was a, was a nightmare. I mean, it was just squabbling, and their finances were all a mess, and Lane was just embroiled in this thing for months, literally months and months, and talking to attorneys and, and accountants and trying to get it, and everybody was squabbling. And the other family, they were just mad. They were mad about everything, and they, they were nasty. I mean, they towards my wife and, and she and and we were at the point we don't just we don't care we don't care what happens here we just want this thing over we, you know just some kind of just resolution but nothing anything we tried it wasn't getting closer so we it, during this time we just needed a break we we went up on vacation we went up to Whistler in Canada and while we were there Lane felt led of the Lord to write out a prayer, a scripted prayer, which is another subject altogether. And she wrote out this, this prayer to the judge, okay, the judge of the universe, just asking for justice. And, and in that prayer, I said, Lord, we don't care how this thing settles, you know, what we get out of this or anybody else gets out of it. We just want a just resolution to this. And so we started praying that prayer. We prayed that prayer every day while we were there on vacation. I think we were up there a couple of weeks and we're just praying and praying this same prayer. We came home three days later. The other family calls and says, you know what? We're tired of this. Let's just settle it from what, what we agreed to a year ago. Okay. And within a week or so, the whole thing got settled. Again, coincidence? Was that just timing? It just happened to be three days after we started this real intensity of praying? Or was God answering prayer? I, I have hundreds of stories like you do. Hundreds of stories of God answering prayer. But I also have tons of stories of I'm still waiting to see. See? I'm still waiting to see. I haven't seen it with my eyes. But what, okay, what? The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So how did he teach them to pray? That you should always pray and not give up.